0: Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat hers from FasterSkier.com. We're back for week two of the World Cup, this time from a frigid Jalivare, Sweden. We've got a rundown of standout results from the U.S., a typical Norwegian distance men podium sweep, and plenty of other stuff. We'll have another episode next week, if not before,
1: and we'll be back right after this message. Come and experience the largest bathlon event ever held in Canmore, Alberta at the BMW IBU World Cup March 11th, the 17th. Races are free to attend with VIP packages also available for purchase. As the final World Cup of the season, 10 World Cup Globes will be awarded in Canmore, Alberta. The action is fast with plenty of community events scheduled at the newly renovated Canmore Nordic Centre. For a complete schedule and tickets, please visit canmorebiathlon.ca and use promo code. Oh my gosh, Kershaw for 10% off all VIP ticket packages. That's Kershaw. That's my last name for 10% off all VIP tickets. Get your butts to canmorebiathlon.ca.
0: Um, well, should we do this?
1: Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about Galavari. You know what? Like, it's really a nostalgia tour. And this is we've we got a lot of messages. We'll come back to that. But um, one of the messages we get is no one wants to hear Kershaw's nostalgic stories. So I'll keep it short. But I've spent a lot of time in Gallivari as well. And I love the courses in Gallivari. So seeing these races this weekend really brought me back. Like we did a lot of our preseason camps in Gallivari, a little bit like the US team has been going to Munio the last few years. Uh, we kind of made, we kind of hold up in, in Gallivari for a lot of, uh, a lot of my career way up North of the Arctic circle in Northern Sweden. And the courses are like, they're great for, for a skier like me. I mean, they're like pretty old school in the sense that like longer gradual climbs, not a whole lot of steep stuff out there. Uh, a few little pitches here and there, and then the downhills are long. So you get good rest, but then at the bottom of every downhill, you have like wicked corners, which is, we'll get into, we'll get into how important it is to ski that terrain. Well. Um, but it was really fun, kind of fun. It's always fun to to watch World Cups that you know the course inside and out. Like I know every single meter of that course, we've spent so much time on it. So it's pretty fun to follow along.
0: The only thing I, the only other thing I know about Yalavara is that they they have like um, an enormous, uh, is it nickel mine there?
1: In, yeah, in, uh, well, it's iron ore, yeah. In, um... Iron in, in Gallivari, yeah, L El- L El- L K A B, so L K A B, which has been a big sponsor of Charlotte Kalla, as people know Charlotte yeah. Kala, and also Marcus Hellner. Um, so it's one of the biggest mining companies in in all of Sweden, and it absolutely is in Galivarie and Kiruna, which is another big mining town that is what maybe about an hour away from Galivarie. Uh, so, Roger for that, it's uh. Yeah, but it's not every day. I, I don't know. I, you know, it's kind of funny. It's it's interesting with some of these small towns. What I think it's cool. I mean, maybe not as cool when you've been, when you're an athlete yourself and you're like, oh, it's dark and, you know, it can be tough to travel way up there. But it means a lot for these communities to have such a big event in a small community. And, and I don't know. I think there's something to be said about that, honestly. Like the whole community comes out and supports the event. And that's what makes cross-country skiing kind of special. You know what I mean? Like with running with a marathon, like everyone wants to run and like, think about it, like London, Chicago, New York, Boston, like huge Amsterdam, whatever. Like Valencia was just this weekend, people running fast there, Berlin. These are huge cities and it's kind of an event. And, but a lot of people like to go to all these places for many different reasons, but nobody's going to Gallivari in early December ever. Like, why would you go there? It's dark, it's cold. It is not much happening Uh, These are great places to go in April if you love cross country skiing, because the skiing in Lapland is unbelievable in northern Sweden and in northern Finland. But in but in December, they're like, let's just call it what it is. It's pretty depressing. And I think it's fun that such a big show like the World Cup of cross country skiing comes to places like that, that, uh, yeah, really get behind the events. So just so that said.
0: Yeah. Um, well, should we just should we get into it? Um, uh, let's get
1: into it. Let's start with a 10K, uh let's start with a 10k skate for women yesterday. And just to, you know, love the feedback. We got a lot of feedback. And I'm not gonna spend a whole too much time digging myself into a deeper hole, but we did make some mistakes. I think I think some of our sarcasm maybe landed a little flat, like the evo sarcasm about him like chucking his poles. Like, I don't think we did a good, good enough job talking about like the, like, there was like a bit of a glint in his eye when he did it. He was kind of like showing for, he was kind of hamming it for the cameras and stuff. And then his interviews, we touched on that a little bit, how he said it was like the worst race of his life. And he's obviously joking, but, um, and, and the whole thing surrounding Diggins. And then you and I had a discussion on that. But one thing that we can say in all honesty is for the positivity of, of this weekend, I know we said this about Rosie last weekend. I feel like we're we're throwing out praises a little, maybe liberally, but these are great races these girls are doing. These women, sorry. Jesse Diggins smashed the field by 23 seconds in a fast 10K. And that in and of itself is one of the best races of her career. And this is coming from a Olympic medalist, a world champion in the same event last year. This was her 15th World Cup win individually. So, her, Palmer, her list of Palmares are long. And while winning World Cup is always exciting and always like a huge deal, it's always a huge deal to beat the best in the world. She beat the likes of Eva Anderson by 23 seconds on such a fast course, which the time itself is also a total beatdown. But after I let you speak <laughs> and your, your quick hot takes on this, I want to really spend time talking about how Diggins solved this course because for all the young ski racers, male or female, if you want to know how to dissect a individual start perfectly, look no further than what Diggins did on Saturday. I think it was, I mean, she's had so many great races, but this was definitely, if not the best, one of the all time best tactically orchestrated races I've ever seen Diggins do.
0: I I wish um, I've been watching the Formula One series try to survive, and that um, they that seems like the data that those guys have access to for F one, like where they kind of are charting lap times and charting, you know, they've got like speed curves and like, man, I would love to see some of that uh, for for Diggins' race on. Saturday because you could just see her making time and I'm sure this is what you're talking about but like you could see her making time like in these specific segments of the course like going over the tops of hills and it's like I would love to see her charted against some of the other athletes like not maybe on the uphills or maybe on the uphills and and on the downhills but like you know those like hill crests where you're trying to build speed into the downhills where I feel like that's where jesse was making a lot of time. I I do want to come back quickly and you know I, I think we can make this conversation as as big or small as as you want to. I, I I do want to quickly also address like we got we got a lot of feedback uh on the last episode uh you know specific to the comments that we made about Jesse Diggins at the finish line last weekend and I don't know. I mean, I think I think I feel compelled to respond a little bit. And I I think, um, first of all, I think we pissed off a lot of people. Uh, it is safe to say that I actually having been in situations where I pissed off a lot of people in other forums, uh, the responses that we got over email, I thought actually were like, fairly generous. They were, you know, folks saying, look, we were dedicated listeners, but we really didn't, didn't like this commentary. And, you know, what, what I, I was kind of in the moment, you know, if you listen back, I was kind of like, I don't know that I agree with this take Devin. Um, you know, I think you crossed the finish line after getting on the podium in a world cup race and you can kind of do whatever you want, but I also didn't, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it enough and that we got some like pretty constructive emails. And I think you know and for people that didn't listen you can go back and listen you know we talked about quote unquote the level of drama that was being shown at the finish line um which you know Jessie had blood on her face she you know looked like she was about to pass out needed to be helped up um and you know i think there was actually by both of us not just by devin uh some i'm going to just say discomfort it was like it it for me and I was not in the moment able to like articulate this, but I think it, we got, I got this one email from someone who's kind of like studied representations of women in sport, I think on film and, and yeah, Devin, you saw that too. And, and this person was saying, you know, look, the history of women in sport, when you go back to like the first women's Olympic sports of like figure skating and gymnastics society prizes female athletic performances that look like they are effortless and we don't like it when women um you know make demonstrable displays of emotion and i think you know if i'm being honest i i it's like it it isn't my favorite thing to watch jesse's like sort of uh display of emotion and stuff at the finish line but i also think like that's a Nat problem. That's not a. That's not a Jesse problem. Like I don't actually, you know, Jesse is not hurting anyone or doing anything wrong by being kind of vulnerable and public about just sort. You know, and it's and so I feel like it's it's fair game for us to maybe talk about like what. the the way this makes us feel or the way we react. But I think from my perspective, it's, it's, you know, important to say, um, you know, these are, these are women that are like putting it all out on, on the line. And particularly in light of like what we also did kind of say about Ivo Niskanen being like, yeah, we loved it when he spiked his poles on the ground, that's acceptable on the one hand, but Jesse Diggins makes us uncomfortable on the other hand, um, I don't know. I, I I think, I think that's a little bit of a mea culpa on my part. I'm happy to hear more thoughts if, if you have them. I don't know. I, I, I actually find this stuff pretty interesting and felt like, you know, there was an opportunity for us to kind of reflect on it a little bit.
1: Absolutely. Like we, thanks for bringing it up because we did get a lot of feedback and we really appreciate the feedback. And yeah, I'm mea culpa. Absolutely. Like we were way too flippant and some of the, I guess like the, I was reacting to like the help, like the carrying out of the finishing area. I mean, cause we've seen this a lot, you know, um, not, not, it's not a Jesse Diggins only thing and we were, but we were way too flippant and I, I truly apologize. And I think we have to be more sensitive and I, that, that email specifically that, that you're speaking of Nat, like that, that definitely gave me pause. And I think the way all these athletes are able to dig so deep, and go absolutely to the basement. I know, I know viscerally what someone like Diggins is feeling at the end of that, just like Klebo too, who just crosses the finish line, takes his poles off and doesn't care <laughs> like <laughs> or Mark um, for that matter, because that was the life I led. But that, that said, um, as we know, and she's a, Jesse Diggins is absolutely a, a role model for me and my kids love cheering her on, on TV. And, and she's the best U S women's cross country skier, the best U S cross country skier ever bar none. And yes, sorry, Keegan, if you're listening, hopefully you're not, but if you are like, you're an amazing skier too, I'm not trying to take anything away, about the, the uh, pioneering career that, that Keegan Randall put forth, she was, she was a star in her own right. But, but Diggins really seems to have up the level in so many ways. And individual world champion I mean it doesn't you don't have to say much more than that and it was I think maybe we not maybe there's I I apologize and I think we took it too far and we kind of went on this tangent we were laughing and it's hard to come across on a audio medium to that and I was trying to compare like blaming Bjorn Dolly because Bjorn Dolly was so famous for like crossing the finish line and just like face first into the snow every time and that just kind of became his calling card and then me as a young athlete what did I do when I was 15, 16, 17, 18. I mean, I would just come across the line and it was like, you, <clears throat> you know, like peppered me with tomatoes everywhere. And I just, ah, and like blew up, uh, like falling onto the snow and, and rolling around in the snow. But the ra- the fact of the matter is it is really, really, really challenging to be a cross country ski racer. And in Kusimo, it's a challenging course. And you finish with that big grinding uphill. And when you're fin- finishing with an uphill like that with one, with a spare pole, no glove, um, and fighting for the win. I mean, oh my God, of course, Nat, like do whatever you want at the finish line. And she's an amazing role model for, for all, not just American cross country skiing, but for, for the cross country skiing community at large. And for sure we got the feedback was great. And I actually really appreciate the constructive, the constructive feedback. I thought it was, we, we got great messages, honestly, all of them. And, um, I think it is important to take, take pause. I wasn't I kind of hoping to like, kind of avoid it, but I'm glad that we spent a little bit of time talking about it, especially because Jesse Diggins is having a fantastic start to her season. Um, this isn't, this isn't hyperbole to say that this is the best start ever in her career. She, the way she's classic skiing is the best she's ever skied and the consistency of the last two skate races, at least. Uh, in Kusumo and then and then the absolute masterclass she put on yesterday. Um, in the first few weekends of the World Cup, first couple weekends, sorry, of the World Cup season this year, Jesse Diggins is on a completely other level. And yeah, so I, I agree with you. I I apologize, and I think sometimes in the interest of hamming it up and and uh, carrying on, that's that it's not constructive whatsoever. So thanks for the feedback, and I hope I hope that the feedback keeps coming. And now let's get back to how she solved this race, because what you said is exactly where I was going is you, you feather your efforts. And if you know cross country skiing deeply, and even if you don't, and you want to go back and watch this race again, watch the power that Jesse Diggins is taking out of every corner the speed talking about F1. Like this is a big deal in motorsport. It's a big deal in cycling. It's also a big deal in cross-country skiing, especially on a course like Gallivari, where you have these long descents that always, always, always finish with a pretty challenging corner. And if you can take speed around that corner better than others, man, you can exploit your competitors in a huge way. And Diggins was doing this better than anyone, honestly, like better than the men were doing it. It was incredible to see. And the speed that she was able to take, as you said, I know I'm just parroting and we'll get hate mail about that too, but the... She would feather her efforts and you could see it. And with Diggins, sometimes you don't, right? Like Diggins is a hard on your sleeve kind of racer that kind of can mash, right? Like we've seen, we've all seen Diggins like technique fall apart, but still drilling it and just mashing up the hills, not in Gallivari. She took her speed beautifully out of the corners, way better than any other female. We've talked about this before. She's the best descender on the female world cup by a factor of 10. Uh, No one descends like Diggins and carries her speed but into these climbs because these climbs are gradual. And even with all that speed into the beginning of these climbs, you see that she's skiing with such power. And I almost want to say like poised. She's, she's patient. She's patient at the bottom of these hills, even though she's taken way more speed out of the corners than the likes of like Ilar Ribom, who's a sprinter who's a beautiful skier and also t- carries her speed well out of the corners. If you compare Diggins to these girls, these women, sorry, it's, it's not even, it's not even close she feathers it. And then over the tops of these climbs, like you said, she is smashing dude. like the power that she is able to generate. And it was a distinct strategy that that's how you solve a course like Yalavari to win. And she did that perfectly every lap on every single Hill. And I'm telling you, it was a masterclass in, in tactics. And, and you didn't even have to see a timer. You didn't have to see the results. Like, she looked like she was on another planet compared to her competitors and her competitors. Let's not forget are like individual world champion, multiple world champion, Ebba Anderson and, and making her, making her look bad when Ebba Anderson actually was skiing pretty solid too. Like her technique was solid. She was solving, she was solving the challenge in a pretty like a super solid way. But on a day like today, when Diggins is on another level, no one, no one could touch it. It was, it was one of the best races I've ever seen her do.
0: Yeah, I mean 23 seconds in a 10K is just kind of bonkers. I mean, I feel like the the only asterisk is that uh Frida Carlson is is home with with COVID. Um, but still, I mean, I you know, Ebba Anderson is has been on par or better than Frida Carlson this year anyway. So I don't think that really takes very much away. I mean, I, I really I don't have much more to add. Um Sweden uh obviously smashes the remainder of the podium with uh Ebba Anderson in second. Moa Elar like continuing the smoking hot start to the season that she has had, uh Emma Rebum with a a solid distance race in fourth place, and then um Delphine Claudel from France in fifth, and, and Rosie Brennan with another solid race. In sixth, I don't know if there are any, I mean, it seems like Sophia lockley has had also like a, a real hot start to the season. And I'm I'm really impressed with what we've seen from Lockley so far this year, just in that we know she was racing basically all summer, like long distance trail running races, and to see her start out this hot uh on, on skis, like she must be doing a lot of push-ups between those running races, and uh I, I'll be curious to see, you know, how long she can su- sustain the form that she's in, you know, throughout the season. So I don't know if you had any other takeaways. It's been kind of yeah, rough.
1: No, for, yeah, no, I think you know. I think no, I think there's a great takeaways there. I'll, I'll come back to luckley in a second, but Ribom, I, I'm madly impressed with Ribom's opening of her World Cup season. She's kind of taken a page out of the sindling book, where a total beast of a sprinter all of a sudden is top five in distance races and top five in individual start distance races. Um, you know, when Sundling did that a year and a half ago, I mean, you and I were both beside ourselves. We're like, she's the next smart Bjergen and, and she's had a, she's also out with COVID right now, which is, which is too bad. She's got kind of caught up in a COVID wave that, that affected the Swedish team, which is really too bad because when you have home world cups here and then next weekend in, in Ostersund, Um, to lose your chance to race at home like that. That is a bit heartbreaking. Luckily, it's just, it's quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, just the World Cup. Um, There's many, many competitions, but there's something special to compete at home and and they miss out on that. But uh, Rosie Brennan, super solid. We were texting back and forth, Nat, like I hope the American fans that listen to this drivel take a pause right now and and think about this stat I'm going to throw at you. One and two one and two in the women's overall World Cup standings I know it's only after two weekends but who cares they're both American they this should come a- they should come back home for a parade right now oh for sure we need a like the Macy's parade like no no we need to we need a cross-country ski parade a, a life
0: a life-sized Jesse this or is, or a, Yeah, for sure this is,
1: yeah this is a lifetime achievement and we're only two weeks so we're not gonna sing our praises too hard but Rosie starting the season so hot but one and two in the overall World Cup for, for American women, what I think is really fun, and we've touched on this before, and yeah, we've been flippant about it and stuff, but to get more serious about it, I think it's pretty fun too, that the Jesse Diggins approach and the Rosie Brennan approach in pretty much all aspects of their preparation, other than their hard as nails and they train really hard, but their approach to their preparation and their approach to how they just do their craft is very different. And yet you know, that, that old adage, like all roads lead to Rome. It's amazing when all roads lead to Rome in a Lamborghini, you know, both lead in an F1 car because they're in Red Bull's F1 cars. I mean, they, they're, they they're skiing, they're skiing at an incredible level. And uh, I just thought that was really impressive. I also loved the women's race all around. I, I thought the women's race as it usually is. And maybe, maybe we haven't spent enough time about how exciting women's, cross-country skiing is especially these individual races both sprint and distances there's a lot of different women that can compete there's a lot of different nations that are competing and maybe i just think this sometimes because the norwegians are struggling a little bit (laughs) a little bit and maybe that's good for international cross-country skiing Uh, i was pretty shocked like i thought lotta lotta in this vang she had a great race for her in skating to come sixth but i mean when do you see when do you see women the norwegian women being sixth eighth Ninth and eleventh. I mean, Fosnnes's race was incredible. By the way, she's a 23 year old, um, huge talent, under 23 world champion last year, and this was the best World Cup of, of her career. That was fun to see. But I'm just saying, the Norwegian women had a rough weekend, like super rough. And I don't know. There's lots of storylines from the women's side of things that I that I really like. And luckily, in 13th, like you said, yeah, she's had a she's had a super good start, but and and a little bit like not to throw shade because it's a great performance, but I'll throw a little bit of shade. I think like luckily you were joking around about strength training and that sort of thing, but I know it's not fair to compare luckily who is way younger. She's 23 years old to the veteran best in the world, Jesse Diggins, but technically speaking and how she was solving that course, the clips that you could see that they were showing huge, huge differences. And I think that luckily left a few places. I, I honestly, I'll say it. I think she left the top 10 on the course purely on how she tactically solved the course. I think she was just kind of smash and grabbing it on those climbs. And I don't think that's how you solve a course like that. And 10 seconds gets her into the top 10 and she had 10 seconds in there. If she would just tactically have solved the course a little better, but I mean, that's going to come with experience, of course, but, and then one last thing before we move on to the men's race, really a bummer of a day for the Canadians and KSJ was building race by race last weekend in ruka which was really exciting she had such a great season last year she had a really great period one last year and uh yeah she was in the struggle bus here in Galivari, and those things those things happen but it is it does break my heart as the hometown like cheering for the home team uh it was a really let's just call it what it was i mean it was a nightmare of a weekend for canada and um it was a bit disappointing to see KSJ take two steps back after a couple of steps forward last weekend in Ruka but the season's long and period 1 is notoriously tricky and finicky. So This podcast is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup Society, organizers of the upcoming Coupe fist Cross Country World Cup in Canmore, Alberta, February 9th to the 13th, 2024. Hey Nordic ski fans, get ready to elevate your visit to Canmore with a complete VIP experience package. You got to picture this, VIP suite, indoor and outdoor access, fully catered meals, behind the scenes experience, and this is a big one in North America because we have horrendous public transit, free parking. From a bird's eye view to this reserved finish line access, this will be the Nordic experience of a lifetime. So limited spots are available. Book your tickets at albertaworldcup.com. A reminder that general admission tickets are free and all are welcome. Plan your visit at I repeat, AlbertaWorldCup.com and you have no bigger hometown booster than me. Kammer Alberta, most beautiful venue on the World Cup. Get your butts there and under the shadows of the beautiful Rocky Mountains. Cheer on our athletes. Let's move on to the men. What would what do you like there? Well, I am
0: I think this is funny because I actually I was it's the typical split personality of, of men's distance racing right now, which was like on the one hand it was Norway. And I, and I, it's funny, I was looking at the, you know, I watched the race yesterday and they had the fist graphic of like the top 10 finishers in the race. And, um, it was not all Norway, right? Like we had um, Michael Novak in there. Michael Novak in there. We had Andrew Musgrave and Mika Vermeulen. But if you um, that you know, on the results sheet, they show all the flags uh, next to the nat- names of the athletes, and you know, Austria, Great Britain. Uh, uh, what what am I missing? Uh, exactly. Czech Republic. Uh, they're, they're all. They're they're all you know, white and red and maybe a little bit of blue thrown in there. So I was like, can we, can we like at least get like some green or just like something, mix it up a little bit. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think seven Norwegians in the top 10 and sweep the podium, you know, on the one hand, you want to turn it off. But on the other hand, if you can live with the fact, if you can live with the fact that you know, this is the Norwegian Olympics of, of distance racing every weekend. Like I actually thought the men's race was kind of on the edge of your chair and it was really fun because you had, you know, I, I don't exactly remember, but there was sort of early benchmarks being set. Um, I don't know if it was Goldberg or if it was, I think it was maybe someone else, but then, you know, you just had guys coming through for like quite a while, all, all really tight with time like all the way to you know i think many minutes after uh paul goldberg finished the race you had ivar tildheim anderson like still coming pretty pretty close to the times that goldberg has set so i was i was really enjoying watching all these guys you know come over the top of that last hill into the finish line and um you know the level of competition was super high it was super tight and i think you saw Athletes. I mean, I think Kruger was actually really close with Goldberg all the way up and through the last hill. And then Goldberg, like clearly he he did something right with the pacing to put you know, at least five to 10 seconds into a number of guys all on that last segment. And so, you know, I don't know, I, I would love to see some more of those like speed curves and stuff. But I, I actually I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun and and uh, really solid racing from Andrew Musgrave to just be a few seconds off the podium. Like he is knocking on the door so hard right now. Also, really solid efforts from these Younger guys, uh, Michael Novak and uh, Mika Vermoilen of uh, Czech Republic and Austria, just like nice to see these guys actually kind of mixing it up with the Norwegians, even if they didn't kind of crack into the podium.
1: For sure. And I think uh, I agree. It was exciting. I mean, I I'm a curmudgeon with the race suits because, you know, at least with the Russians there, you'd see. Well, their suits are also red, but but there'd be five other Russians in the fighting for the top 10, at least with, with these Norwegians. But that said, Paul Goldberg, I mean, you saw how much it meant to him too. winning an individual start is, it rains, it it looms high because that is the, that's the tradition of cross-country skiing. And, and it just means a lot to these guys, but winning a skate race individual start for a guy like Paul Goldberg. Yes. He's a 50 K world champion. Yes. He's overall world cup winner but you saw how much this wind meant to him and he did, he solved it absolutely wonderfully. I also think it's, uh, there's a lesson there for, for younger athletes too. Paul Goldberg. If you just see how he's using his upper body and where his shoulders are and the way he's able to transfer the power into the snow. If you just cut off his legs and you just see his upper body movement. And of course his poles are a little longer, but it's not surprising that on a course like this, that is a lot of one skate or double dance if Norwegian. And what is it again, when you pull on every side is American V2 alternate V2 V2 with a lot of V2 happening, uh, if you cut off his legs or put a black piece of paper, so you don't see his legs, what jumps out at you? This is perfect double polling, upper body movements and mechanics. And Paul Goldberg is one of the best double pullers on the world cup. And when you're solving a course tactically, like you did. And you have that kind of strength and you're able to just like a metronome, like keep that rhythm through the whole course, but attack over the Hills a little bit like Diggins, although didn't do it at least not visually as, as well as Diggins did. Uh, it was, it was quite the race and Amundsen. I have to sing my praises to Harald Amundsen because he was one of these guys open really, really hard. I don't know if you noticed that like in the first couple of K you're like, okay, well, Amundsen's in it. He's going to, he's going to crush. And then he, he slipped, he missed some seconds and, on the tv feed you just kept seeing him skiing through and you're like oh my gosh like what happened he opened so hard maybe he opened. maybe opened too hard maybe he's gonna die is he gonna die and it looked almost like he was at the edge of dying not not in his movements not how he was skiing but just in the splits while you're watching it on tv and his last 2k or his last k and a half i should say was incredible amundsen's last k and a half was incredible whereas kruger's last k and a half. I mean, they're all right. You said, like you said, it was super exciting to watch because everyone's so close within like 10 seconds. But Kruger's last K and a half, you know, his, his high VO2 max, his capacity, that's his strength and his technique too, just couldn't match a bigger, power, more powerful skier like Paul Goldberg and Amundsen. And then Ivar I- 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 and anderson is just such a fun story because he had such a breakthrough season last year. Uh, didn't get to go to the World Championships and bang, he's back on the podium here. It's, it's incredible. Musgrave's having an amazing start to the season in Skate and Classic. Cool to see Didrik Tonseth back in there too. He he had COVID earlier in the season and uh, you know top six is solid. And then Jan Thomas Jensen, I mean, talk about a guy on cloud nine wins his first World Cup of his life last weekend and then follows it up by being eight seconds.
0: So question question about Jan Thomas Jensen though so he also had a solid anchor leg i mean i, I don't know that we really have a lot of basis for comparison cuz he was up against Edvin onger the young swedish guy who's really more of a sprinter than a distance skier but like okay jan thomas thomas jensen uh you know he he wins the world cup in ruka which was just like out of nowhere he's he's you know seventh within 4 seconds of second place yesterday but is that guy gonna? Is he gonna get more World Cup starts, or is he gonna get bounced after this weekend because he was actually the the second to last Nor- Norwegian man I think in the in the field yesterday?
1: And, and this is what's so hard, right? This is what's so incredibly hard because next weekend, what is there on the docket in Ostersund? It's another ten k skate, right? And and yeah, you look at it; they have six starts plus the Nor-Am li- or not Noram <laughs> Scandinavian Cup leader, uh, and so you have like one, two, three, four five six he's the sixth guy so he's right on the he's right on the bubble to get that start but are you really going to leave nianga at home when nianga won a world cup last weekend too being on the norwegian team and being the staff of the norwegian team that gets to pick these starts is just an impossible an absolutely impossible choice to make but luckily the impossible choice to make is who gets who gets to win because you know one of these guys is going to win next weekend in osterson so it really doesn't matter on the team side but individually it matters a lot and i think I think what Jan Thomas Jensen has showed the last couple of weekends is something that uh is is incredible and, and inspiring for a, there's this is what people know I know Americans know this and Canadians know this but the depth and the professionalism of the, the next best in Norway especially on the men's side it's deep there's a lot of athletes that are giving their whole life for the chance uh, that Jan Thomas Jensen is has and is taking now and I think it's a real inspiration for a lot of those guys that have been toiling and grinding on the Scandinavian Cup and uh like grinding in the minors really for the last some of these guys have been in there for like six seven eight years grinding for that dream of the world cup and the performances that jensen has had and, and then the experiences like the relay you said today anchoring the norwegian men's relay team is so exciting and and uh it, it'll be really really inspiring i i do want to sing the praises of of uh gus gus has really turned this around and and this is actually kind of fun i want to and also Of course, Vermeulen, I I don't know where this has come from. This is insane. Like, he is, like, what what Vermillen did, like, like the Austrian, he's 11 seconds from winning the World Cup. You saw what he was last last weekend, not not just his result in the top five, but uh, last week he was all over the front of that race, skiing with Nianga trying to get away. Like, who is this guy? Like, where did this come from? This is incredible performances by him, and if he can keep this up, this will be the, This would be the surprise of the men's world cup, the way he's skiing, but Gus coming back to Gus really struggling, like on the struggle bus, super big star as a junior. We've talked that nauseam. We don't need to burn too much airwaves on it, but well, well, I
0: mean, I think just helpful for folks who maybe haven't don't know the history, like Gus, is like the pride of Alaska, you know, was racing at, at, you know, spring series national championships since he was like 13 or 14 years old, wins a gold medal at world junior championships, which is like, you know, that, that just makes you the next Michael Jordan of cross country skiing in America. And then, you know, for the first Two three years as a senior really has has struggled to to get it dialed in and 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 you know had some just really brutally difficult results at like world championships at um at Olympics la- uh, two years ago and so just that kind of sets the stage for where he's been this year
1: for sure and now he's now he's now he's all over the top twenty and really like in that kind of fifteen around he was sixteen yesterday but in that kind of like top fifteen. Area. This is elite skiing, even with the Russians there. That's you're in the top twenty or around twentieth. Uh, these are this is this is solid results for a twenty three year old, especially a twenty three year old that struggled. And I think talking about inspiration, there's a Canadian that was the next kind of like the our kind of Gus Schumacher light uh, in Olivier, Olivier and medals at World Juniors. He has a bronze medal at individually in the ten k skate at World Juniors and a few years ago and and he really was like the next one right like the next coming and last year struggled like struggled hard on the world cup had a horrendous season on the world cup and this course that suits him style that suits him the guy's 53rd like olivier is back in 53rd. he's a minute 42 back i hope that one he's not listening to this two i hope that he can take some inspiration from a guy like gus that is grinded now for the last couple of years with some really, really challenging results and, and had good people around him, and, and got himself back into a, into a good uh progression curve now. And, and the week, especially week in week out now with guts, these first two weekends, super, super impressive. And a guy like Olivier that struggled so hard last year and has opened this season. Bad, like poorly. We just have to call it what it is. He's a senior now. He's not under 23 anymore either. Um, you know, like this is, it's, uh, it, well, maybe he was actually last year under 23, but regardless, like he, he's had a tough start to the season. The Canadians had a really tough go in the 10 K uh, Tony, you know, Tony is a bit like me, sadly, <laughs> when he's in amazing shape, he can skate pretty well when his shape's not right at the top level. It's, he just doesn't have the technique. He, he's not good enough technically uh, to convert when his shape's not perfect. And he was, yeah, he was pack fill. Uh, yesterday which was tough to see it was uh, and and zav i mean zav just so young he's first just i mean come on like dude just get experience don't worry about anything your time will come uh you you have you have no experience here on the world cup so uh it it will come joe Davies got to sing his praises again the guy's only a minute eight from the lead uh, for Great Britain, man, what a loss for Canada letting him go to Great Britain like that. The the pride of Pemberton, BC. Oh my god, that was a that was a miss, that was a miss for Canada. But uh, I'm just saying that flippantly, of course. Uh, Joe, we love you and and you'll always be Canadian, but also Great Britain's lucky to have you. It's I thought it was a great performance by him, but uh, yeah, I, and the other American men aside from I want to get your perspective, Nat, and then we'll just move on. But like, Gus way to go buddy awesome stuff we're cheering loud we're cheering loud for everyone of course you know that no matter what we say uh you know we care a lot about how you guys do and we just we just want the best for you guys um but american men outside of gus it's been kind of a struggle in the distance side of things like ben ogden has taken a couple steps back i mean he hasn't had these classic races that he's known for but uh before we get to the realize it's just like you have one quick comment on like what you think is happening with the american distance men
0: Uh, I mean, honestly, it's not just the American distance men. Like we haven't I don't think we've seen maybe we've seen American men in sprint semis, but, you know, no one's cracked the the finals. I mean, I I think this is a hard I think this is a hard thing. I mean, I'm probably more sympathetic than a guy who's like been there, done that on the World Cup. But I think, you know, particularly with someone like Ben Ogden, who. Is not necessarily training with guys at his caliber all summer, you know, to just sort of show up uh, in Scandinavia in the Arctic and expect to be able, expect sort of top notch performances. I mean, I think it is disappointing, like you know, you uh, particularly after what we saw from Ben and what we saw from like Hunter last year um you know you kind of have this expectation that these guys are in this top echelon and they're gonna stay there but i I, you know i don't know i mean i think the reality the reality is it's been two weekends they didn't they did not the americans didn't do any kind of tune-up uh racing over in in europe uh before the world cup started so you know I, i i will be you know I what I what I would the way I describe myself is uh you know hoping for more. But I also, you know, the one thing that I also would point out, um uh I, I don't actually know um this is, I need to be a little more prepared here, but uh Sandon McMullen uh coming from my home now state of alaska um zandon's been having you know i think he was close to the top 30 in one of the races last weekend i think this is his first like kind of full period on on the world cup and then also had what i think was like a, a pretty solid leg he i think he had the third fastest anchor leg in the relay today which is sort of hard to parse out with all the stuff that was going on but you know he was right in in the mix uh in that sprint from the pack that he was coming from in the in the relay finish today, and um, that guy's 22 years old, and and definitely like you know in in the mix in his I think sort of debut on the World Cup at least served sort of in this way. So I've, that's one thing I've been excited to see.
1: And this is really good. I'm glad you mentioned that with Zanna because that is I agree. It's it's been super inspiring to see his world cup's debut. I know not debut debut, but really period one, it's a different, it, it hits different and it's tough. These guys are fighting for starts. These big nations are fighting for starts for the whole rest of the world cup. So people come out firing on all cylinders and P1 always have always will. So it's hard to mix it up with that, but you know, you do touch on something that is important. Like, yes, Olivier in Canada had a uh, the Canadian had a, had a really tough world cup campaign last year. And as this, Campaign has been really rough too, but let's not lose sight. These 22 years old, I mean, these guys are young and you got to learn to walk before you can learn to run and that shouldn't be forgotten. So, while it sounds like maybe sometimes, um, I can be a little crass or a bit like hard that that's not the, that's not the meaning, but it's also like top sport is brutal and we don't all just sit around singing Kumbaya. That's, that's not what it's about um, you know, I know these guys want more and they expect more of themselves and it's there. And I want, I, I, I just hope they don't lose the faith and, and, and keep, keep grinding. And that's why I tried to tie it with Gus, right. Who really did that, who really did grind away and, and made some changes this year, training with APU now and, um, surrounding himself with some really top-notch athletes that he can train with day in, day out and Ben finding his way and, Zan, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun storylines, but a lot of these guys are really young and it's tough to be here on the World Cup and not kind of achieving your expectations kind of thing. So it it, it is tough, but it's, it's tight. But Vermeulen, the, the, the problem that happens every year is every year there seems to be these guys that come out of the woodwork where you're like, well, look at Vermeulen. Like, come on. Like he's like right in there. He's fighting for the World Cup wins. Like Gus is way better than him traditionally or, you know, Olivier is like 10 times the skier previously than like, dude, but that's the beauty of cross country skiing. I love it. That's what makes it exciting is like these guys come out, you don't know where they come from. I mean, I know he was a good junior and he was an order combined athlete and his brother's a pro cyclist, like people that are really deep in the weeds that want to read up on Vermeulen. It's not hard to find his story. It's fun. And talk with your Steiner, you know, the Akardali guys that are helping him out, but still it's um, it, it, it is still I don't want to say easy, but <laughs> he's eleven seconds from the win. You know, you just want this so bad for a guy like Olivier or or any of the young Americans or, or the Canadians. But anyway, we'll leave it there. Let's move on to the women's the women's relay. I've got. I want you can start. You can start, and then I'll I'll just give my two.
0: No, I mean I I don't know. It's I, I think we can talk really quickly about like it, I think there were six countries in the women's relay, which is just it. Makes you want to cry. And I think that, you know, I was reading some coverage where they're contrasting it with biathlon, which I don't know, have like 15 or 20 nations in there, like women's relay. And it's like, I, I don't think we need to beat the dead horse. That's like the, the horse that we've been beating about cross-country skiing, sort of losing ground and being behind that horse is like, it's decomposing. It's under the ground. It's It's been uh, uh, cremated already. But
1: like this, I'm going to, I'm going to exhume this horse just for a second. Yeah and before I before I do go too hard listen at the sharp end of this race the women's relay was super exciting diggins was classing like a total champ rosie's leg was insane sweden was coming from behind like it was awesome the top the sharp end of the race amazing stuff but we'll come back to that don't worry but the the six nations doing a world cup relay is unacceptable and we need to come up with a better system. FIS has to come up with a better system to they are great nations in cross-country skiing. France went home. They didn't even they didn't even feel the relay on the men's side either. They decided to go home. Like speaking of this, like FIS is trying, and I, I applaud FIS actually, like putting all these races in Scandinavia, cutting down the airfare, so you're not traveling back and forth from Central Europe. It's quote unquote better for the environment. It's not, we're burning so much gas and you, all these athletes have 60 pairs of skis like we can leave that aside but really they're trying right they're trying to do something there's a fluoro band now and and yet big teams like france decide like we've been in scandinavia long enough we need to go home and eat some reclette. and i get yeah, that we, I, I well, well
0: like it do you but like okay we need to go home
1: 24 hours earlier like, I know, like exactly. come on. no but here's but here's the point here's my point i'm trying to make Bathlon has profit sharing The IBU. Gives support in the form of like vehicles and cold, hard cash to all these nations. There is a profit sharing strategy that the IBU is using to keep these underfunded smaller teams able to do the World Cup, which is the product, which, like you said, can have a relay with deep start fields. yeah, the the bad teams or bad the the developing nations in Bathlon are they're getting lit up by sweden and and France and Italy and Norway, but they're, they're in there and they're able to compete. And over time, their strategy is over 20 years, 30 years, maybe some of them can come up and compete. Whereas cross country skiing, there is no profit sharing zero. The teams are like, you do it yourself. Two, there is no consequence for you to not to do the relay. They tried giving some world overall world cup points for doing relays and stuff in the past. And that got a lot of blowback, which I understand. But at the same time, there is no consequence to skip the relay whatsoever. And then they have a schedule like athletes have been saying and staff have been saying for years and years and years, this, you have to look at the racing schedule and look at the load that you're putting these athletes into, like how many races there are, plus the travel, plus a marquee event, like the tour de ski, which looms large at the early January. Then in another years, you have that plus a championship that people want to peak for and and win medals in. It's not surprising in this current structure that this has put together that people are skipping the relay. But by doing that, you're cannibalizing your product, you're cannibalizing your sport, and you're making it a laughing stock. I can't call this relay World Cup. The women's relay, I love watching it. I loved the storyline. I, I mean, Diggins was skiing outside of herself in class. It was awesome. And Rosie, oh my Lord, like, yes, ma'am, it was awesome. But I, I, I'm just, I'm clouded by what I saw because like Six Nations, this was this was like an invitational. I don't know. It was like a cross country invitational in Gallivari and that's not what it should be. That's not what it should be. And and this is not good. This is alarm bells shouldn't just be ringing. Like you need to call the helicopter to uh, and the water bombers. Like this is not a building on fire. This is like a humongous force fire that is completely out of control that started from a dumpster that is fist and is now spread everywhere. Like this needs to be put out and you need to do it now because if i see more relays on the women's side with six nations represented i agree with you like stick a fork in this it's done and it's sad because the sharp end of the race is so awesome so it is a great product but yeah. n- not 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 in the way it's not in the not in its current state and and we're we're letting it die like no one's trying to implement any strategies to save this send
0: a s- send a email to your local international ski federation representative and tell them to fix these problems uh you know put in some carrots and sticks for the relays and start start with some profit sharing improve the television broadcasts or uh you know Devin kershaw show is gonna be like the the last the last thing standing here when uh we don't want
1: we don't want that because this is an underfunded like Piece of garbage. But the fact of the matter is, let's just have a quick couple takes on yeah. on the relay itself. I've already said Diggins going leg one. How fun is this, eh? How fun is this that the Americans are like she's skiing well and giving Diggins the chance to like try something new and and ski the first leg. She's skiing with Heidi Bank. She's skiing amazing in classic. And then Rosie just dropping the hammer on the field was incredible. Sophia luckily had a bit tough. Let's let's just call it what it was. It was a, it was kind of a tough go for Lockley, but she was up against some pretty steep competition when you think that like Ev Anderson is the one that's chasing you down, but I thought she held her own. And then Julia, I mean, I would have liked to, I would have liked to tell you that Julia and like Victoria Carl, like she could have hold her own with that. But like the fact of the matter is like, we forget a bit that how good a skier Victoria Carl is. She's also a previous world junior champion. She's Olympic medalist, world championship medalist, um, it, 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 she's kind of overshadowed by an athlete like Henning, you know what I mean? Who has been quote unquote carrying the German team, but the German team is fairly deep. Laura Gimler has talk, taken a lot of great steps and, and Victoria Carl is actually like an incredible cross country skier that doesn't get enough risk, not respect. She gets respect, but I, I don't think she gets the do that she's deserved. So that said, it would have been cool to see Julia like be able to hang a bit harder, but uh, you know, it's it's not often that the Americans kind of, struggle a little bit more on the skating legs uh we're not used to seeing that but they did this time but they still came away with a podium which is pretty fun i think it, i think it was pretty fun to see them on the podium you saw how much it meant to them that it is it's a big deal even though there is only six nations and it was a fist invitational instead of a world cup i mean they they, uh, they, they smashed norway which like it's norway. norway is a fiasco that was a total fiasco and And, uh, it was a tough go for Norway too, because Bergana had to come in for slim that, that woke up and bailed or not, not bailed. She wasn't feeling well, so couldn't race. And she didn't get the, she didn't get information that she was racing till like just before 7. a.m. And this race started at 9 45 AM. So for the, for the 22 year old Norwegian, uh, super talent, Bergana, it was a, it was a tall order and Rosie Brandon ripped the legs off her, uh, and put her put Norway. Yeah. Norway was no longer in the race after that leg. And, uh, the other women were kind of in no man's land, you know, like Calvo and, and Lotha, like, who knows how they were skiing there. It was, they were just kind of in no man's land. And then after that, there's just nothing else to say. I mean, like there's no other, you look even Finland, like Finland put a team together, but it was the B. It was like the C team of Finland. Y- you didn't have any of the top racers there. I know you're going to say Ropenin's a thousand years old and she is, and she got to do it at a 45 year old. Uh, but still it's uh, this, this, the, the, field of the women's relay. I mean, we gotta, we gotta change the page because it's, it's just, it's too irritating.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the one, there was one other thing that I did want to say about that, but um, I forgot. So oh, I
1: have one other stat. So, cause people kind of love the fun stats. We, we do get some emails about that, which I think is always kind of fun. Cause like, this is where Alex texts me a lot, Alex Harvey, because we're both like stats hounds. <laughs> <We're cross-country skiing. laughs> we Cross Country Skiing. I you should see our text feed sometimes. It's actually kind of embarrassing. But uh, the last time Sweden won... No, the last time, sorry. The last time that Norway was not on the podium in a, fem- in a women's relay on the World Cup, can you guess the year?
0: Wasn't it 14 years ago or something? Like
1: 2009? 2007. Okay. So even it's with this... If, yeah, even with this like laughing stock of a field, Norway, like this should be, the, if there's one relay that they should be able to be on the podium, it's when there's only six nations represented. And first time since 2007, so 16 years, while well, I was in March of 2007, so whatever, 15 and a half years, That's the last time you didn't see the Norwegian women on the podium. So uh, this was a tough weekend for Norway on the women's side, there's no question, but it was a absolutely phenomenal weekend for the men wasn't it that
0: I, well i actually i mean we can move on to the to the men now but i, I actually thought they kind of underperformed in the in the relay today like Paul goldberg could not get away on the first leg uh and then you know simon simon hex kruger like had kind of this a little bit of a collapse on His leg and, uh, you know, let this uh, young Swedish guy, Leo Johansson, like kind of pull away from him at the end. And, you know, it, it, it just was a foregone conclusion. Like it didn't really mean anything in the end, but I actually... You know, I think I was messaging you like I I was it's it's Sunday morning here in Alaska. It's like I it by nine thirty it's like I need to have watched like two and a half hours of ski racing and read a bunch of like Scandinavian tabloids and it's like it's a little bit of a scramble for me to get ready. and I was like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna watch this men's relay on like one and a half speed or whatever I was doing. and you know, <laughs> I kind of just. I was slowing it down in places because I was like, I just assumed it was going to be Norway was going to win by two minutes, but you know, you actually had lead changes and going back and forth. And even if you kind of knew what was going to happen in the end, I actually thought it was like a pretty exciting race in a way that, yeah, I didn't expect
1: what I thought was exciting. And this is, this is something the listeners don't hear coming out of my mouth very often. Sweden really impressed with Sweden. I thought Cali's leg was amazing. I thought Cali raced really well on Saturday too, to be 11th. And, and, uh, but I thought his relay leg was incredible. Uh, I thought the Swedish men did a phenomenal job and yeah, anger got like, uh, beat by Jensen, but Jensen did win the world cup last weekend. And again, tactically, I think Edwin Onger maybe made it was, he's just in a tough position. Right. Um, in in that sense. And when you're young, uh, I don't know, I, Maybe it just wasn't in the cards. No matter which way you like, no matter how the cookie was crumbled, like maybe Anger had no chance against Jensen in, in the shape that he's in. But, but regardless, I agree. It made for some kind of exciting, exciting racing. Uh, I totally agree with what you said. Like, although I've raced that, that, the classic side of that relay, or like not the classic side I put together, but like the course for the relay is just oof. It's it's uh it, it's so hard and classic to get the distance that you need. That's what made Rosie's leg even that much more impressive. Um, But Kruger, I don't know what the hell happened. I mean, like he did, he collapsed completely. It was a total collapse. But I'm not that worried because you saw how good he was uh, yesterday. And I mean, Kruger's the, you, you we, like we can't be worried about a three time. I mean, the, the Kruger's a beast. So, but it was a, it was a tough day. It was a tough day at the office for him. Uh-
0: I, I learned the Norwegian word for that when I was uh, reporting on the Holmenkolen. Uh, it's sort of when you have a the infamous collapse they they call it a, a spreke,
1: I think yeah, right yeah, like yeah, yeah, spreke, like yeah like a crevasse. like it's just like like a big gash. yeah,
0: yeah. so yeah, that that's Kruger had a sprek today. so yeah, uh, sure. the, the,
1: the okay, other it, go ahead. well, it's kind of fun. like not that I like all these guys are young, you know on the German side of things i mean when your oldest guy in the german relay which is on the podium which has been a while since they've skied that well in a four by a, like a distance relay uh and when you have your oldest guy being 26 this looks great i mean this is this is this is a rebuild mach we've talked about mach a lot bruger too um has had some great racing especially on the under 23 level um but uh this I thought this was a like not just a solid effort. I mean, it was they they're on the podium on the world cup. I thought they all all the all the guys in this on the German team skiing quite well. I thought it was really fun to see. And Italy too, you know, like I think Davide Graz is kind of fun to watch. I mean, he was a great junior and he has a lot of panache. Um so it was fun to see some of these young guys mix it up on the Italian team as well. Um they were they were fourth. I mean, not so far off, uh, not so far off Germany, not so far off the podium, really, you know, six odd seconds, but like the the States too, I mean, 45 seconds from the win. uh, When you consider like we were just talking about how the distance guys have been skiing the first two weekends of the world cup. I don't know what you thought, but I I thought the American men skied super solid, honestly.
0: There were some legit performances today. I mean, you know, starting with Ben Ogden who skied with, paul goldberg for seven and a half half kilometers and you know lost one second effectively no time and then some some also uh actually like a shockingly fast leg from john Steele hagen book uh who you know i think has not been particularly standout in these opening world cup races on an individual level but he had the he had the fastest the you know he was on he was on the b team today and had the the fastest leg of the third leg overall you know it was faster than
1: by the way because the second and third leg is is when it all goes down so
0: heavy hitters and then and then also zandon mcmullen had a a really solid anchor like we touched
1: on earlier team team one so, so i thought the americans did really really well especially american one but you're right like american two uh, you know eighth place and only a minute off the lead which is I mean they're in the race like don't look at the result as much as look at the time back and look at how they all skied and I, I was really really inspired by how USA2 skied Um, on the flip side a little less inspired by how Canada skied it was just a very forgettable weekend for the men and women we don't have four women so anyone that's curious why we didn't feel the relay team after I said we need more nations it's kind of hard to field more nations if if uh, countries don't send four women to to the world cup but but uh, on the men's side i mean what can you say i mean this this was the canadian men's relay i i didn't think i didn't think Zavski'd all that bad honestly in the first leg like, he didn't lose all that much time and you could see him dangling and again he's so young but after that like man oh man it was uh it was hard to watch it was really hard to watch
0: and I actually want to come back and say when was the last time we had two American men's four person relay teams? I, I mean, that was, that was cool. It's, it's nice that nice to see that we actually exactly. have eight American
1: over there. Yeah. That can, not just eight American men over there, but eight American men over there that can race within a minute of the win. Yeah. Pretty fun. Pretty fun. Yep. Yeah. What do we got? Uh, what do we got coming up? Austria soon, buddy. So we're staying in Sweden. And we're just going to go a little bit further south. Uh, people that are Nordorks to the Maximus probably watched the Bathlon races that were happening, the World Cup openers in Bathon were in Östersund these past. Uh, they do a much better job with their scheduling as well. Just saying, uh, they're in their venues for longer, and they've been there for the last five six days competing in Östersund, which is a great venue, great town in the middle of Sweden, and great fans for the Bathlon races at least. So we'll see if they show up for the cross-country, I'm assuming they will. And it'll be fun to see the storylines with some of these Swedish women that have been ill, uh, see if they can come back and, and get back on the start line. Crossing my fingers for all the athletes, you know, traveling down, uh, any sort of travel days after these hard weekends of racing. And it was cold in Galavari too, which stresses the system a little bit differently than if it's plus three and sunny. Um, wishing Yeah, everybody re- a healthy and safe travels South to the, to Austin and we look forward to next weekend. It'll be fun.
0: So, so one other question I think to, for folks to look out for like, are we going to see Johannes Klebo next weekend? He raced twice this past weekend in like Norwegian cup, won a sprint race and then did not win a distance race, got beaten by uh Henrik Donestad. So like, I, I don't, I don't know what Klebo's going to do, but you'd think he he'll be back on the world cup after some, time at home. Um, But, you know, definitely not the guy, still not the guy we've been used to. Uh, I would also like to tip my cap to uh, Wang Chang from China, who, you know, he was fourth in that Norwegian cup sprint. Uh, Not, you know, he's not, he's not quite to beating Johannes Klebo yet, but he did beat, I think he beat like Mats William Jensen, who's like a, a totally legit sprinter and like just getting into the final of a norwegian cup sprint i think is you can fairly say that's like not really any easier than getting into the final of a world cup sprint oh he so.
1: beat tugbo dude he beat Hovart tugbo who is like a world championship individual medalist like it was a great sprint by him the the norwegian cup uh that just happened in in golo an hour 15 from here in Lillehammer, uh especially on the sprint side of things i mean it was a world cup level shana was there glebo was there it was uh it was it was a big deal. So yeah, and it'll be interesting with Claybo to see what what happens coming forward. But again, like he's the best skier, man. He's fast becoming the best skier, male skier of all time. Uh, he's not there yet, but he's he's fast becoming. And it it just it just goes to show that when you get a when you get sick just before the World Cup period starts it's really hard in this first period to claw your way out of that. And it's no problem in the long run. I mean, it's going to be no problem by the time the tour to ski comes around or even like uh, January, February, but, but, uh, and these races come fast and quickly. And, and if, if you get yeah, just bad luck, right? Like there, a lot of people are sick. I don't know what it is in Alaska, but I, mean, I know here in Norway and in Canada, there's a lot of people with like influenza's already started. You have a lot of COVID happening and a lot of children, are sick with multiple viruses at the same time. Uh, you know, like, uh, RS virus is, is given her here over here too. And, and, uh, other things happening. So, oh, it's tough for these athletes. They're really riding a, a knife's edge and man, I, oh, I really feel for them because it's almost easier to get sick. Like, I don't know, in like a dead time of uh, middle of January kind of thing, like maybe like get away from the tour without getting sick. So you don't get sick right after the tour and then, Two weeks after the tour to ski or something you have a little head cold in your back but when when it happens just before period one when you have all these races week in week out man it's tough even for the best in the world uh you know legends like Klaybo, uh they're not supermen so uh crossing my fingers for him it's always fun to have him on the world cup and he's uh he's a beautiful skier to watch and and um yeah you always want the best to compete at these things that's the whole thing right like same with frida you touched on it in the beginning. Frida would have got crushed by a Diggins no matter what. I mean, like like I said, I think it was one of the best races Diggins ever did. And I go out on the limb to say it was the best tactical race Diggins has ever done. Um, but still, you want to see the best compete in, in week in, week out. And you never, it's always sad to see people uh, out with uh, because of some illness. And yeah, so crossing my fingers, everyone bounces back and We keep on trucking up here in the dark. It's just getting darker and darker every single day. And my seasonal depression just gets worse and worse. Perfect. It's uh, something to look forward to for another uh, three weeks till the winter
0: solstice. So uh, we will bid folks adieu and be back, hopefully, uh, with some additional independent uh, guest expertise next week. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.